Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support this show, please tap the link in the episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit v byte to become a monthly supporter. Thank you very much. Moving on to some news, uh, I've got a number of things I want to cover today. A couple things have come out, updates to applications, and some new uh, applications that we can use. So starting off with that, Google Optimize is now free. It's a product that Google has that allows you to run certain tests on your website to determine if changes in, say, text, layout, content will affect how your website performs. So A-B testing, basically. And this is done via JavaScript, which is used to modify elements on your page, and then the results are reported back to the platform, and it also integrates into Google Analytics. What makes this really appealing is the ease in creating the tests and the WYSIWYG interface to actually create the changes. So check it out. It might be of use. Uh, certainly nice to have more free options out there for everyone to kind of work on their sites and see what works best. Moving down, we've got a number of applications that have been updated with new versions or some betas have come out. Starting off with that, we have Visual Studio 1.27, or the August update. There are a number of changes in this release. Uh, the ones of note that I pulled out from their uh, release notes are the new settings editor has gone live. It's uh, much friendlier and makes discovering settings a bit easier. They now have fully themable title and menu bars because everyone loves, loves a good theme, and so being able to kind of fully do all of that is pretty awesome. The terminal menu is basically the tasks menu but renamed it makes everything a bit better organized and they made a number of breadcrumb improvements moving down uh, ps readline 2.0 beta 3 so if you aren't aware what this is it's meant to replace the console editing experience in powershell with a more powerful one it's based off the gnu readline library uh, in in the linux world but kind of recreated in powershell and so for a long time, it hadn't been updated, but just recently, a new version has come out that supports both PS Core and standard PowerShell. So if you're wondering what this actually gives you, it's a number of enhancements such as syntax coloring on the command line, so not just that blue and white, uh, some error checking, and enhanced autocompletion. Just a better overall experience. Grafana 5.3 beta has been released. Uh, so the main feature updates are these configurable notification alert reminders. So if you get an alert and you want to be reminded of that alert over time, that's now configurable and doable. Uh, Postgres has a new graphical query builder, and they made some updates to the TV and kiosk modes, which I believe with those updates, that is kind of breaking in functionality. If I remember, they had a, uh, if you used to be able to put like a, uh, URL uh, parameter on there, and that's changed, so you might have to update some of your code. In browser updates, we've gotten both Firefox 62 and Chrome 69. In Firefox, it has a few updates, notably support for CSS shapes, uh, CSS variable fonts, and they've got some improved graphics rendering for individuals that don't have GPU acceleration. 
Additionally, in advance of removing semantic cert trust in version 63, there's now an optional preference to enable the distrust now so that end users or probably more corporate users can really test to see how their sites will behave in the upcoming version. With Chrome uh, 69, this is a big release for them. This is Chrome's 10th year since launching, and for that, they have overhauled the interface. Uh, it's using the newer revision of material design, and so it, it looks a lot more in line with their other products. It, it's a good um, look. It is a bit different from the existing one, so might take a little bit getting used to, but it's not too bad. They've also upgraded its password management, allowing for some smarter searching in the URL bar. Then in developer news, it has support for scroll snap and conic gradients. But check it out, pretty cool. Got a lot of features in there, uh, certainly of use and upgrade all the things. Some two links and resources I want to uh, add, both kind of by the same group of people, but uh, very interesting to me. The first one is the Refactoring UI uh, website and book. Uh, both the website and book are in pro process of being created, so not all the way there, but there are uh, Twitter snippets and some case studies out there that show you what it's going to be. But what this is, it's an upcoming website and book containing a ton of practical and usable tips for enhancing your user interfaces and just design overall. The authors have been working on this for some time and released some case studies and tips on their Twitter accounts, like I mentioned, but they really are great small tips that will really help you in your UI pro, you know, projects. If you're not a developer, or uh, sorry, if you're not a designer you know, by, by nature and maybe don't have as much of that artistic bent, then these are some really good, understandable, usable tips to kind of really bring up your design a little bit. It's well worth keeping an eye on once the website and book are completed. I know I'm going to be purchasing them because I've really enjoyed what they've done so far, and I thought that this will be just a great uh, tool to have in my toolkit. Next thing is this Tailwind CSS. It, it's just a CSS framework that leverages a bunch of utility classes to try to quickly create reusable, composable elements. And it does work with the BEM method. It's a rather opinionated approach to combine, you know, and combine a few different methodologies, but it's got a somewhat unique approach that allows you to have a bit of that speed in creating these components, but the flexibility of realizing that not everything will, will be easy to do with that purely, purely utility-based approach. It was I was trying to get out there. And so what, you know, it's something worth looking at. I know everyone has different opinions on how CSS frameworks and what's the best and how they should work, but it's just another alternative. And the original blog post kind of backing why the author wanted to go down this route is pretty well reasoned and it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, in practice, we'll see, but it's something I want to check out and see what that method looks like in practice rather than some of the other ones I've been using over time. So, moving on to kind of what I wanted to talk about in this episode was this user interface design and experience. And some of this is the challenges and, you know, how you as a developer that may or may not be a designer can kind of cope and, you know, look in that, you know, a kind of a look at that overall. So one of the many challenges in web design, or any design for that matter, is how a user perceives the product and really how they experience it. 
So this is kind of collectively known as user interface design or user interface experience. And it's, as stated, just how a product looks and how they really interact and use it. So this is one of those areas that's pretty opinionated as what looks good to one person may not look very good to another. It also leans heavily on a designer themselves as it can be most times be very subjective and artistic. That being said, there are a number of ways that even those kind of without that artistic bent can compose nice usable designs and systems. What really got me thinking about this for this week, beyond just my need to do this in my normal work, is reading through that U factory, or refactoring UI snippets and ideas by breaking down small bits of user interface and really what's good and bad about those in kind of a clear and concise manner. It really made a lot of sense to me and hopefully to others as well, but it made me start thinking though, what makes a good user interface design? Especially since over the years I've worked with a lot of older, not necessarily technical folks that don't have that traditional sense of conventions around user interfaces on the web. So what does make a good a UI? Well, I can't definitively say because it's subjective, but a few things have always stood out for me, and those usually are this ample white space, really just room for elements to stand out and breathe. And it, it may not be, it's just space around the elements. So it could be whatever your background is, but just allowing those elements to kind of stand out on their own. A clear contrast between buttons and text that you naturally want the eye drawn to, like a call out. And finally, small animations and icons that indicate what purpose an element has or will do. Yeah, and you, you, some of those are embellishments like animations, but the icons I found are pretty useful for folks as long as they're clear icons about what you're trying to do. So with those in mind, you can usually get by with a pretty clear, even if sparse, design and interface. And there are many, you know, additions you can add along the way, but that tends to work pretty well. Often some of the worst designs are those compromises kind of built on a pretty design but with elements that lack that contrast or usability. And this is kind of evident in that debate, you know, that was really prevalent a little while back about ghost buttons. And they're really like those kind of outline buttons on top of pictures or things. And the problem was it, it was hard to, to know, you know, is that something I should click? But that all kind of goes back to not, you know, folks that get on the internet and depending on what your audience is, of course, but not everyone has the same sense of conventions. Like, if you see a lot of those ghost buttons on the sites you visit, you'll naturally just know that that's a thing and that's okay to click. But if you're kind of coming from the real world and you don't have that traditional sense of what is that convention, well, you have to kind of design towards that. So maybe there's a compromise that could be had between you know, a button that kind of makes sense what you might see a bit in real life. And I know that kind of gets into that, I believe, skeuomorphic design uh, philosophy, but, you know, that's kind of gone away, you know, from the early years. But at the same time, you have to find that balance of how do I know a button's a button or how do I know that I need to click there um, or that I should even focus on that. You know, it's really kind of drawing your eye down the path of a page to know, well, that's what I'm trying to do. So I think that's partly what makes it so difficult in design. It's hard not to take a lot of pride too in our work. So, and, you know, and I'm not by no means a you know a designer really. I'm a developer that has 
had to do a lot of design. So this is why some of this is very interesting to me. But you, no matter what, you, you take a lot of pride in that kind of design. And it's a very iterative process that can't be really done in a vacuum. You really need the customer and others to continuously use it and provide feedback. And so this is where, you know, having that pride, you really need to have a pretty thick skin because unfortunately, you know, well, not unfortunately, but everyone will have different opinions and likes and dislikes. So just because they aren't as thrilled about an element that you are shouldn't really be taken as a slight to your skills and ability, but really just a difference in opinion and how they see it and a chance for you to really look at that aspect and see, well, does it make sense? Is it clear enough? So when criticism comes our way, especially in design work, just because it's that artistic sense and you oftentimes put a lot of work and care and effort into it, you know, it's, and because it's so visible, you know, unlike kind of developer work where, you know, you're coding something that's not really visible to, you know, folks out in the field, but this is something that everyone can see and have a different perspective on. So you should see that feedback is really valuable to creating the best design and product you can. So my ending thought is that although UI is difficult to get right and stressful for a designer to do sometimes, the feedback, good or bad, should really always be taken as a positive so you can improve and create an even better design. So and as much as a thick skin is unfortunately necessary in this industry, it will help you a lot kind of learn to not take things personally and really say, how do I take this design or this element that I've created and really do the best I can? So follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.